0: I've been described as a China bull, pretty optimistic and upbeat about China's economic prospects, and I think that served me well um, to this point. But I've got to say, right now, I am more pessimistic about China's economic outlook, at least in the short term, so sort of Mm -hmm. the next six, 12 months, than I think I ever have been before.
1: Welcome to the FinCIA Podcast. Uh, today, I'm really pleased to have uh, Australia-China Institute uh, Professor James Lawrenson with me again. Uh, we've spoken before uh, on on this subject subject of the China-Australia relations, and and you know you can't get away from that. It's, it. It's it's in the news all the time. Um, James, uh, welcome again. Um, good to speak to you. Um, um, where are we at?
0: <laughs> Good to be with you, Lewis, and the Fincia podcast. Well, a lot's happened since we last spoke. Where we're at, um, well, look, let me, I'm an economist, so let me concentrate my initial remarks on where we're at in the economic relationship between Australia and China. And and where we've ended up is a, you know, it's a bit of a paradox in a sense, because on the one hand, since we last spoke, uh, China has hit Australia with a an unprecedented campaign of trade disruption. So certainly, China has disrupted trade with respect to other countries previously, but it's been very targeted. For example, Norwegian salmon, Philippine bananas. But in the case of Australia, we've had a dozen goods hit with um, disruption. And the value of those goods to China have fallen by about $20 billion. So this is not you know, small fry stuff. So. Hold that thought in mind, but the other thought to hold in mind at the exact same time, and it's a reality too, is that last year in 2021, the total value of Australian exports to China actually hit a record high. Now, that's for a few reasons, most prominently because China hasn't disrupted iron ore exports and iron ore export prices over the last couple of years have been um, extremely Buoyant. Uh, so th- that's where we're at, um, and of course, the big question is where we're headed. Um, since the new government arrived in Canberra, there hasn't been any relaxation of that disruption yet. Uh, but we've seen a uh, mild political easing, so it'll be an interesting six months ahead. Yeah,
1: I mean that, that was one of the things I did think about. You know, we had, I suppose, the, the Solomon Islands was around the time of the election, and um we've had the, this this government uh on the face of it i would say you know that the political rhetoric has um coined probably um you know uh, uh, you know but um s- still looming large you know in the in the in the background is is taiwan um again um um and what, what I, I, you know at the beginning of the year i was um, at a, an economic forecast uh, and it was just before ukraine um, it was mentioned you know um, and everything depended on that um, what, what are your thoughts on um, well it's difficult to say you know, from a political perspective who knows but um, is that causing doubt I mean should it cause a doubt and, and people to be more cautious of um, dealing w- with China um,
0: I what are your thoughts are there so, Lewis, just to clarify, so the question is uh, in terms of developments in Taiwan, is, is that correct?
1: Um, yes, yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah look, uh, look, look, the first, particularly over the last month, um, the situation in Taiwan Strait certainly hasn't um, improved. It's, it's worsened. But uh, I don't think we're on the brink of an invasion, as some people like to suggest we are. I mean, my understanding of the US intelligence, and indeed the Taiwanese intelligence, um, is that the Chinese People's Liberation Army aren't amassing their forces, indicating that they're about to make the jump across the strait. Uh, So I I don't see that's on on the short-term horizon. There's no doubt the status quo that has underpinned peace in the Taiwan Strait over the last um, 50 odd years is coming under pressure um you know we've seen a series of what the chinese side would call as u.s salami slicing and what they mean by that is the u.s is not doing a backflip on its um one china policy uh, which doesn't recognize taiwan as a separate sovereign state um, but it is moving in a direction that's providing more de facto uh, independence for Taiwan. Now now just be clear the Washington would would reject that. They would say their one China policy hasn't changed. But you have seen things like for example President Donald Trump um, received a congratulatory call from the um, Taiwanese president. That was unprecedented. Um, we've had US military in Taiwan training the Taiwanese military. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we had Nancy Pelosi's visit, the highest political US political leader to visit Taiwan in, in 25 years. Um, and Beijing is also what's watching what's coming down the pipe. So for example, um, the we've got midterm elections coming up in the United States, and the Republican um, leader in the House has said that if they get control of the House, he'll be off to Taiwan, just like Nancy Pelosi was. There's legislation going through the the um, U.S. Congress that will designate China uh, designate Taiwan as a quote a major non-NATO ally. Now this is this is a place that China, China regards as its sovereign territory. It's within 200 meter, 200 kilometers of the Chinese mainland coast. So the prospect of the US calling it a major non-NATO ally um, is is quite an escalation. Still, final comment. Uh, I. Even that, I don't think, sends us necessarily into a military conflict scenario. China has a lot of options that it can push back on, including in the economic and political and um, even in the military space, but short of flying rockets that land on Taiwanese ground. Um, We've seen, for example, missiles flying over across Taiwan, landing in the ocean on the other side. So I think that's what we'll see is a ramping up of that sort of activity, but probably not an invasion. That's well,
1: let's hope. But, you know... um the other serious issue that uh, you know we'll re- return to, and, and you know, as an economist, I think it's probably fairer that I ask these kind of questions. There, there's no doubt that uh, you know the Chinese economy is is struggling um, um, by you know any stretch of the imagination. You know everything you read, um, and you know without being on the ground, it does seem as though um, you know Evergrande problems, you know, um, housing in general. Um, how, how is that going to play out and impact on us uh, as um, those in Australian financial services and
0: business? Yeah. Lewis, so you may know my background. I mean, I've sort of been focused on the Chinese economy for 25 years, and for most of that time um, I've been described as a China bull, pretty optimistic and upbeat about China's economic prospects, and I think that served me well um, to this point. But I've got to say, right now I am more pessimistic about China's economic outlook, at least in the short term, so sort of Mm -hmm. the next six, 12 months, than I think I ever have been before. Um, There's a few reasons for that. I mean, well, the the numbers are as they are. I mean, in the second quarter, China's GDP was up just 0.4% on the same quarter in 2021, so basically not, not growing at all. Um, All of the monthly indexes that we've seen since then have been anemic impact, probably suggesting there's been some further slight contraction. Um, China's got a big boost from external demand. So if you look at its export figures to Australia and the United States and Europe, um, they have expanded. Uh, by around about 25%, if I recall, um, in the first half of this year. But at the same time, domestic consumption in China um, has struggled in a very, very big way. Um, And of course, a lot of that's connected to the Chinese government's so-called dynamic COVID zero policy, um, where not, got you know, a fairly regular basis, um, particularly the services sector, restaurants and so on, entertainment industries, um, they'll be shut down um, to, to prevent the, the spread of COVID. And there's very little indication that China is going to open up to international travel. So all of that is increasing uncertainty in China and weighing down domestic consumption. You mentioned before the property sector. I mean, this is the first time ever, um, or at least over the last 30 years, where China is, the property, the real estate sector is actually contributing negatively to economic growth. The Chinese government talks about a, a stimulus package, but when you're dealing with a public health crisis, you know, you can build another bridge, but if what's holding back domestic consumption is the fact that restaurants and entertainment venues are closed, um, it's, it's a very poor match between the policy and the actual policy problem. So I'll just finish with a couple observations that that's why well, we shouldn't lose all, all hope. Um, and into particularly when you start looking over that short term and into the medium term, I mean, I think once China does open up again, eventually, uh, it's certainly going to get a boost. And it's also the case that you know foreign investment continues even today to pour into China, so that's an indication of how um, foreign investors see the medium and longer term prospects of China. Um, and there are some sectors of China. Uh, particularly, for example, electric vehicles, um, you know, there's more industries of the future where, in fact, um, the Chinese economy is going gangbusters. So production of electric vehicles, for example, is up 100% um, in July on the same period previously. Um, so there's certainly some bright spots still out there. Uh,
1: and, and and again, though, um, what how would you say that that will in, impact on us in, in, in Australia and New Zealand? Um I, I, I did read earlier, you know, the the the, the 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 Chinese problems could have a big impact on not just an Australian, but a worldwide consumer boom. And, and you know, where does that, you know, where does China fit into that part of the jigsaw, um, in your opinion?
0: Australia does have the advantage, despite all the political problems, of still having an incredibly complementary economy with that of China's. That is, we produce what China needs and wants. you know, The political factors can certainly um, have an impact on that, but it's pretty hard to derail. And in fact, that's exactly what we've seen over the last two years, um, as evidenced by those numbers showing the total Australian exports to China have remained at a record high. Um, I'm not particularly worried about Australia's exports to China over the next six months. I mean, I think iron ore sales will continue. It's not like China has a lot of Choices um, and it's not going to be able to meet Australian supply with domestic supply or supply coming from Brazil. Um, Certainly there will always be that gut instinct of Beijing to offset a slowing economy with stimulus in the form of infrastructure programs that will benefit Australian iron ore. you know, the the world in general uh, is still craving access to reliable, high quality food sources and and Australia's agricultural sector is, is obviously a global standout. In the medium term, I think things become a bit more hazy because you know, the resources companies themselves, even if you leave out the geopolitics, um, they've been saying that simply China's development trajectory means that by about the mid-2020s, um, just China's own steel demand, steel production, will level off and gradually decline over time. And, of course, that's going to spill over to demand for Australian iron ore. But it's not a collapse, so I should stress that. Okay.
1: Now, well, I'm... Um on a sort of fairly positive note, I think that it's, uh, and it's a Friday, depends whether it's a Friday when you're listening to the podcast, but really do want to finish on an upbeat note. Uh, but, um, um, and, and again, uh, I'm going to have a listen again to, to this um, uh, before sending it out. But there's so much great stuff in it. Um, James, thanks again, as ever. Um, fantastic insights. Uh, and I hope that uh, our members uh, take uh, as much as I am out of it. And, and, um, like me, look forward to hearing from you again in uh, maybe not two years this time. So, James, uh, you know, once again, thank you very much. <laughs>